All right, good morning, Crossroads Ministries. It's great to be worshiping with you here this morning. Would you please stand as you worship our great God? For those of you who are tuning online, tuning in online, thank you for joining us as well. Let's look up the game this morning. I praise away to with the God. Our souls away to you and lift a song.
Lord, we come to you this morning because you are worthy of all of our praise. You are perfect, Lord God. You are perfect for us. As you died on that cross all those years ago, as you rose from the dead, Lord, we were on your mind. And Lord, one day we will be perfect in heaven as you are perfecting. When we come to know you as our Lord and Savior and give up the control of our lives and put it into Jesus Christ's hands, then one day we will know perfection. Lord God, we thank you that you're a good, good father. We thank you that you're one that we can always count on, always rely on, because you are good. Lord, as we walk this journey of life, I pray that you will help us to remember how good you are. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Good to be with you all this morning. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. We're glad that you're here at Crossroads. Glad that you're joining us online. Um, I want to extend a special welcome to all of our guests. Please uh, stop by the Welcome Center in the foyer. It's got a sign above it that says Welcome Center. We'd love to give you a gift and just say thanks for being here with us this morning. So please, all of our guests, stop by the Welcome Center. We'd love to talk with you there. Um, you can also connect with us online. You can use the Connect cards. as like blue. Uh, rectangle cards in front of you, and you can fill that out and put in the offering box as you leave, if we can come alongside of you uh, in any way, through prayer, um, if you just need uh, someone to talk to, to connect with, if you're reading scripture and you're like, I don't understand this, any way we can resource you and come alongside of you as your church, please use those connect cards and connect with us online, or you can go to the Welcome Center, we'd love to talk with you there as well. Uh, Church, here are a few things I want us to be mindful of and be in prayer for. Um, uh, trunk and treat is Wednesday, and as of today, there's 900 kids signed up. So there's a few coming. Yeah, that's 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 great because I think 900 kids—that's just kids. Yeah, so that's a lot of people, and so let's be in prayer that as we go serve and love all those who come up to our parking lot on Wednesday the 25th this week that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus. Every piece of candy is an opportunity. You know, every family that's coming because their kid wants to come is an opportunity. And so let's look at that as an opportunity. Every face, every person is an opportunity to be the love of Jesus. Some people are coming up to this on Wednesday and it's the last thing they want to do. And let's make it the best thing that they did. Okay? So that's the 25th Be In Prayer Church. Let's crossroads. Let's be in prayer for the 25th. This Wednesday, the trunk and treat, you'll see all the lights because we're going to light this place up. And it's going to be a really great time. So that's going to be this Wednesday. And then the 29th of October, Pastor Ken is leading a How to Share My Faith workshop. You can sign up for this class on uh, or this workshop on our website. You can also use that Connect card and just put your name uh, and then put a way we can contact you and then just say, hey, I want to sign up for this How to Share My Faith workshop. Um, you can put workshop on there and make it easy. Um, and we will and put that in the offering box and then we'll follow up with you and get you signed up for that workshop on the 29th. And then November 15th, we're looking into November. You saw all the boxes and the foyer. And so Operation Christmas Child, what a, again, these are opportunities, these are gospel opportunities. And so this is coming up, and uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to have a church-wide packing party on Wednesday night uh, at 6.30 p.m. over in the gym, and I'm going to bring up our fearless leader for Operation Christmas Child, Deb Metcalf. Would you welcome Deb Metcalf to the stage? So Deb is leading our Operation Christmas Child, and we're thrilled another year because another opportunity, Deb. If Pastor Luke is thrilled... 
I am so thrilled. Um, I just, I am continually overwhelmed by all the support, all the prayers, all the, the volunteers that have stepped up over these past five years. I think we're going into our sixth year now. And we can't even begin to imagine the number of hearts that have been changed because of the church's support, the boxes that have been packed. Again, as Lucas said, these are all gospel opportunities. And I have to remember that whenever I'm trying to get my things into my shoe boxes, these are gospel opportunities. If yesterday I was doing some stuff at my house, stuffing stuff into boxes, and I thought, who but Jesus could use toothbrushes and bars of soap and a whole bunch of toys to reach hearts and draw them to him and further the gospel. So this is a great opportunity, and I am so thankful for your ongoing support. I can't thank you enough for your prayers because that is what puts it all together. Thank you for that. As as Pastor Luke just mentioned, uh, that November 15th is a really important date. We're doing something real different this year. Um, All the supplies to pack the boxes, they're all being provided. You don't have to bring anything. Bring your hands, bring your hearts, bring your energy. And instead of just filling boxes and see how many we get, we have a goal this year. We are going to have at least 500 boxes in the gym ready to be filled. Um, Everything's going to be laid out. It's all going to be nicely organized. We're going to pray throughout the evening over these boxes. But filling 500 is a big task. So we need everybody to come and fill those boxes. Um, And then the one other thing that's a little bit different this year, um, earlier this year, I believe the Lord put on my heart a specific number of shoe boxes that we want to move off of this campus at the end of collection week. Collection week starts on um, a Monday, November the 13th, and goes through about midday on Monday, November the 20th. When that last carton goes on our box truck, I want to give Jesus 2,000 shoe boxes this year. So it's going to take a lot of support. Um, I have people now who are really getting me excited because they're saying, well, I'm going to take my shoe boxes, but I'm going to talk to my friends, and I'm going to invite them to do shoe boxes. And so, I mean, this thing just just keeps spreading it, and we'll just keep being grateful. So please pray about the 2,000 number. Please pray about the 500 number. And again, I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Awesome. I want you all to check out this video. When that shoebox is open, they're overjoyed. You can see them shouting, jumping. Look at how much they are excited. This is the first time those children are receiving the shoeboxes. They are so happy. You can hear the laughter. You can hear the cheer. That excitement, it goes and goes and goes. Right now we're in Ukraine, and today we've given out the 200 million shoebox to a little girl here. So it's a lot of fun. It's a privilege for us to be able to come and to help the people as much as we can. Every box is important. Every box is an opportunity to tell a child about God's love, about His Son, Jesus Christ. There's so much joy that one gift box can give. They really experience the love of Jesus.
Celebration Christmas show, we celebrate something as simple as the shoebox because God uses it to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We got a full box on this team. This is such an amazing time. We're so happy to be here. This shoebox gift will impact a child's life all year round. We never dreamed we'd have an army of men and women who would come to make this program happen. This is what it's all about. Telling others about Jesus. These shoe boxes go into 120 different countries where pastors and missionaries are going to use them to bring the gospel to kids. So you may think it's just a simple gift at Christmas time, but it's the gift of the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ. When that shoebox leaves that distribution center and it goes around the world, that's not just one person. That's the body of Christ joined together, delivering the good news of the gospel. They go by plane, they go by ship, they go by riverboat, they go by camels, they go by motorbikes. And these boxes go to some of the most remote areas of the world. And every box counts. After receiving shoeboxes, children are invited to participate in the Greatest Journey Discipleship Program. These children have just completed 12 lessons in the Greatest Journey. I believe that discipleship is the key, and they are now followers of Christ. They will tell their friends about Jesus. My name is Gladys and I am 9 years old. My friend Kemi told me I needed to go with her to church. I wanted to teach her about the Word of God. And when she came to my church, she received a gift box. For a long time, I asked my mom for a blanket. When I opened my shoe box, I found a blanket in it. When I came home, I showed it to my mom, and she said it was great. I told her about Jesus. Now me, my mom, my grandma, and Kemi go to church together. I am certain of one thing. God is my Savior. Every box counts. Every box touches a child. It's like a snowflake. There's not one shoebox that is the same. And we are reaching millions of children with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you get the heart of the child, you will reach the heart of the parents, you will reach the heart of the family, and then you will touch the community. We are seeing churches being planted, and more and more churches are being built. We will do whatever it takes to reach the ends of the earth with the gospel. That gift box is the beginning into their hearts. Isn't it incredible how these gifts touch the lives of these children? The joy, the smiles, it changes lives. Every year we see tens of thousands of children discipled. And we couldn't do this without you, so thank you for packing the boxes. Thank you for praying for these children around the world. God bless you, and keep packing those boxes. Well, we want to encourage you to pack your boxes. It's going to be a wonderful opportunity for our church. I'm thrilled that we have Deb Metcalf running this opportunity. Take a few boxes, take one, two, or ten or twenty, and uh, pack them up. Go out to the dollar store and pack them up. And then we're going to have our 
uh, our packing party here, as Deb said, will be 500 boxes is our goal. Um, I'd like to see us even exceed that, but we need funds to do that stuff. So if you'd like to help with that, I want to encourage you to give in the offering and just play, just write on there, packing party. And so anything you give, we'll go out and get more supplies. Maybe we can do 1,000 boxes. It would be awesome to see what God would do. And uh, we'll just see, see how God works and moves in our midst here. So I believe in Ephesians 3.20. It says, exceedingly abundantly above what we could ask or think is what God has the power to do. Amen? So as we set out to do something for God, and uh, we're going to just ask Him to move, we're going to ask Him to provide, and I want to ask you to, uh, to pray about that, pray about your part there. You're going to be hearing about the birthday gift to Jesus coming up next week. We're going to start that. For those of you that are new to Crossroads, every year we ask our people in our church to to take and begin to uh, set aside a gift to give to the Lord Jesus. And we do that through the offering. And what we do is we take these funds for the birthday gift to Jesus, and I'll have a, a whole list of them coming out, and we send them to our global partners around the world. We send it to kids in Haiti who are going to be uh, who, who need food. We send it to kids in the Philippines who need food, feeding orphans. We're going to send it to uh, to people all over the world that need a touch from God and need His provision. And so, as that provision comes, it comes from the hand of the Lord, but God uses us. So we'll be setting that goal at a hundred thousand dollars again, and I'll be looking forward to what God is going to do. So I just want to encourage you. God is doing great things. Amen. And uh, what an opportunity for our church from this, from our little place in Finleyville, here in western Pennsylvania, we get to impact the globe. Uh, we have a global movement that we're into. The Church of Jesus Christ goes to the ends of the earth. So we are taking this message, and it's not just for here. We want to hit everybody here, but it goes to the ends, to the uttermost part of the earth. And so that's what we're doing. I'm thrilled about the trunk and treat coming up on Wednesday. It's going to be 75, and it will be sunny during the day. So God is good, and we're just thanking God for the opportunity that we have. And I know Jenny is here. Jenny gave her testimony on video for getting baptized. That was your first uh, introduction to the church, right? And then she came to Christ, came back on Good Friday, and then she is a follower of Jesus Christ and just got baptized a few weeks ago. Give Jenny a hand this morning. We thank God for that. That's exciting. Folks, that's exactly why we do that. Somebody on the way out this morning said, hey, I just want you to know my friend came to church. The first time that they ever came to church was the egg hunt last year. And so God uses these things when we go out and we do this. So, folks, I want to encourage you. We are cultivating and planting relationships. We're plant, cultivating relationships and planting the seeds of the gospel. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, then we'll jump into our study this morning. Father God, we come before you, Lord. I am so thankful for what you're doing in our church. God, it is amazing the, the momentum that we have in Jesus Christ, Lord. You are giving us opportunities to, to reach a globe, Lord, for everyone that will pack a box, Lord, for every box that gets packed in that, that packing party, Lord, for everyone that will take a box home and go to these dollar stores and fill them up. Lord, it is, uh, it's not about a washcloth. It's not about a toothbrush. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in many of these areas, these people need a washcloth. Many of them need a toothbrush. To see a child get so joyed over a, a blanket... God, we come before you and we say thank you, Lord, first of all, for how that you've provided for us. Thank you for the relationship that you've given us with Jesus Christ. 
So now, God, we come before you, and I just ask that you'll be upon our people as, as we now pack these boxes and send them around the world, and that children all over the globe will find a relationship with Jesus Christ. They'll go through that 12-week study on Jesus, that they'll become disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. God, move in a mighty way, and we will give you the honor and the glory. God, we're so thankful for the opportunity we have this week for Trunk and Treat. Thank you for the forecast of great weather, Lord. Um, God, thank you for the hundreds of kids that have signed up. Thank you for the many workers in our church that are going to give of themselves, Lord. They're, they're going out and they're buying candy. They are giving of their time and their talent and their treasure, Lord. So, God, as uh, people will be creative out there and bringing people to Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray you'll be with our entire church family as we are friendly, as we are going to be, some will be walking with their friends through the line. They're going to invite friends and they're just going to walk through this event and, uh, and build that relationship. So there'll be, the friendships will be cultivated. We'll be continuing to uh, break the ground of, of, uh, uh, of the soil so that the seed of the gospel may be planted. Lord, we pray for more Jennies in our church that they will come back, Lord, that they will come back and find Jesus Christ. That's what the mission of the church is, Lord. And we thank you for this opportunity. God, I thank you for the faithfulness of your people, for their faithfulness in worship, their faithfulness in giving, their faithfulness in serving. It's an honor and a joy and a privilege, Lord, to be here this morning and to share with our family here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been going through a study of First Peter, and we're looking at the exiles. And as we have, we have looked into a number of things. And we have one, and we have found that there is a uh, uh, the family is the big key part of chapter three. So we've been going through, and we looked at how that he said, "I want you to submit to the local authorities. I want you to submit not just to the local authorities. I want you to submit to employees." Last week we looked at the family and how submission works in a family. And when you think about marriage, I want you to think of this. I read this good quote about marriage. It said that in in any marriage. Any marriage more than one week old, there are grounds for divorce. The trick is to continue to find grounds for marriage. And so what I want to encourage you is that after you get married, it's not always easy, is it? I mean, after you get married, you wake up the next day and it's fun for a week or two weeks, three weeks. Then all of a sudden you realize that it's not always romance. It's not always romantic. Unless you're married to me, that is, okay? You know, but like, it's not always romantic. It's not always this, wow, I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to see her. It's not always that way. It's like, oh, this is hard work. And so what we have to do is we have to keep coming back to the Scripture and find what does God say about marriage? What does he tell us and how do we live? And so as we jump into the Scriptures here this morning, remind you where we started last week. We said that the gospel changes everything. The gospel of Jesus Christ transforms marriages. Um, The gospel changes families. Would you say that with me? The gospel changes families. So when Jesus Christ enters into the family, the gospel, the good news that Jesus died, was buried, he rose again, and that he brings new life. He breathes new life into your marriage. He breathes new life into your family. And as you look at this, remember Acts 16, 31, 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. He says, listen, it's not good enough for, you know, it doesn't mean because I have trusted Christ that, okay, my kids will go to heaven. That's not what that means. He's saying here, if you trust Christ as your Savior, not only is God going to work in your life, but he's going to work in the family around you. You will bring others along. People will see that your attitude has changed. They will find peace. They'll say, wow, this person has peace. What is all this happening in, the, in, in my family member? And as you come to Jesus Christ, you become a changed person. So let's look here at 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to see what God has to say here. We're going to look at the context. The context is that of a family. Likewise, wives, be subject or submit to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, Last week we looked at the qualities of a changed wife. And that was the first six verses of that chapter. He looks at the qualities of the changed wife. The, uh, the, The changed wife, the wife who has come to Jesus and he has made a difference in her life. Her actions will speak louder than her words. We looked at that extensively last week. Her attitude is her most beautiful feature. We looked in there. It doesn't mean that she's not to take care of herself. It doesn't mean she's not to get her hair done and coloring and all that fun stuff that you ladies like to do. What he's saying here is that her beauty has got to be from the inner beauty has got to exceed the outer beauty. Um, and we looked at that. Even one translation says, don't let this be merely external adorning. So the way it's written, he's using a contrast. And so she, she, she takes care of herself. She's beautiful. He says, let your inner person be the most beautiful thing that people remember about you. And her role models are godly women. She looks to God. She doesn't look to culture for her, for who she's going to model her life after. She looks to the scriptures. And so today we want to be reminded that Peter didn't just drop a heavy weight on the women and say, okay, that's it. We're going to deal with that and move on. He drops a heavy weight on the men now. And he comes on and he takes verse 7. And in verse 7 there are three strong imperatives that he says to the men to the husbands. He says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Likewise, likewise. He's going to give here, we're going to look at the qualities of a transformed husband this morning. 
When you look at this, Jesus Christ has stepped into your life. You've trusted Jesus. So in your notes this morning, the qualities of a transformed husband. And as you think of the qualities of a transformed husband, I want you to be reminded, first of all, he had told the women to submit to their husbands. But I also want to remind you when he says this word, likewise. That's interesting. Likewise. He had said, likewise, about the, the wives to submit. Well, likewise, submit, because he's talking about the submission of Jesus. Jesus is our example. And when we look at Jesus on the cross, Jesus submitted to the Father. He submitted to the will of the Father. And he goes to the cross and he lays down his life. He submitted to the local authorities, didn't he? He submitted to humans right there. He had all the power. This did not mean Jesus was inferior. As a matter of fact, we were going to, you'll see in three days when Jesus rises from the dead, that he is superior. But he takes this form on and he submits himself to the cross. He dies on the cross. And so whenever he does this, he does this out of submission. And so this whole passage is talking about submission. And while he spells it out very clear for women, submit to your husbands, here he says that you are to likewise husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And he begins to show us some ways that husbands submit to the marriage. Over in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, everybody is familiar with Ephesians 5.22 where it says, wives to submit to your husbands. But what most people don't understand is that verse 21 is actually the beginning of the thought. Verse 21 says, Further, submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. We are to submit to one another. So as we submit to one another, we see how that plays out. Verse 22 in Ephesians, Paul says, Wives, submit to the husbands. Verse 25. Look what verse 25 says. Ephesians 5.25. For husbands, this means love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave up his life for her. There's no act of submission greater than to lay down one's life. See, that's what Jesus did. He laid down his life on the cross, and that was the greatest act of submission. He laid down his life. He died for you and I. And what is it for you and I? We get to now, we get to follow him. And husbands, I want to talk to you this morning about this, because God says as husbands, we are called to lay down our life for our wife. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father and to the need of mankind by dying on the cross and we are to do the same for our families. How did God love us? God loved us without condition. There's no condition to God's love. God doesn't say, you know, I'll love you if. No. He says, I love you. And I love you with an everlasting love. I love you with an unconditional love. How, uh, what are the limits to God's love? There's no limit to his love. God loves you no matter where you've been. He loves you. His love for you is 100%. You cannot escape the love of God, we know in the book of Romans. So this is how Christ loved us. He loved us sacrificially. Did you know you cannot love without sacrifice? Oh, you can say love. You can feel all fuzzy and warm. That's just feeling fuzzy and warm. That's not love. Love requires a sacrifice. You cannot love without a sacrifice. And so Jesus proved it when he went to the cross. He didn't just say that he loved. He went and he sacrificed. So, so for us as husbands, this requires 
a, an act of submission. This requires us to go and sacrifice. This requires us to give our life for our family. See, it doesn't mean that I'm not the leader. It doesn't mean I'm not the head of the house. It means that I serve my family. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and I can't serve in my family? Like, like this is our example. So as we look at this, I want to encourage you, it does not mean that we're not leaders. It means that we submit to our families. We submit one to another. When grace changes the heart, submission out of fear changes to submission out of love. And that's what happens in our life whenever we begin to uh, understand the grace of God. We begin to understand what he's done in our life. Now I do what God says, not because I even want to, but because he said so. Because I love him. Do you see the difference? God doesn't say, hey, I love you if you change. No, I look at God and say, God, I have changed because you love me. You see the difference? All your life you've been taught, if you're a good person, you'll be loved by somebody. Nothing could be farther from the truth with God. You are loved 100%. He does, his love for you is unwavering. You know why you change? You know why you do what he says in his word? Because you love him. And you will know if you love the Lord by the way you love people. By the way you love people. Love God, love people. That's what he's called us to do. We're called to love God, and we're called to love people. So as I treat my wife, that shows me, hey, there's a barometer of my relationship with God. How am I treating my family? How do I treat people? So he says here that I'm to love her as Christ loved the church. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. He says, I'm going to give you three thoughts, husbands, here today. He says, I want you to live with your wife. He says, live, in a, live with your wives in an understanding way. So we're going to start with that first phrase. Live with your wife. Now, I want you to catch what he says here. You know, whenever you're, when you're, you're saying, okay, that's kind of obvious. Yeah, it is kind of obvious, isn't it? Um, yeah, that's why you, you wanted to be together all the time. He doesn't say, put up with your wife. He doesn't say tolerate your wife. He says to dwell closely in close relationship with your wife. Did you catch that? Dwell closely. That's what he's saying here. Live with means to dwell together closely. You want to dwell together physically. Man, physical, that's always the fun part. You get to be together all the time. Now, I'll never forget... I was, uh, whenever I was dating Rhonda, she lived out in Washington, PA, and I lived down in Dormont, and we met here at the church. So I was the youth pastor, and every time she came to church, I was always happy, you know? And, uh, and then we started to date, and then I was like, okay, she lives in Washington. So I had that van, and I drove that big old blue van that I had, and I drove all the way out to Washington, PA to see my sweetheart. And as I saw my sweetheart, I would do that, and then I would drive all the way down Route 19, all the way down to Dormont. Now, if you've ever taken Route 19 from Washington, PA, all the way to Dormont, it's grueling. That's what you do when you're in love. You just, you just do it, right? Because you can't, you can't be apart from her. 
Like I would get everything done, and then I would dart out of there, and I'd be like, I'm going to Washington, PA. And I'd be out there. We'd hang out. We'd go on dates all the time. And as we got a little more serious, I started going out there every day. And so whenever we got married, I was like, this is a no-brainer. You get to dwell together. You get to live together, right? You get to go, and I get to share my life with this woman. So, so, oh, man, this was so happy. And then all of a sudden, you get married, and you wake up, and you go, oh, you're still here. What, what is, could you get away a little bit? Would you go do something else, right? It's like you can't wait. Your heart's driving to be together. Then all of a sudden, you get together, and about five months in, you're like, I just I need a little bit of space. I don't know. You're like always over my shoulder or something, right? And, uh, and this is what happens. And so you learn the ebb and flow of life, right? He says, I want you to dwell together in close relationship physically. And physically, most people, that's all they think about. They think about the physical side. I get to share a bed. I get to share a life. I get to share. We're, we're going to do life together. So that means I'm sharing a bed, and we're, we're going, coming and going all day, and I get to see you every day. Well, there's more to the story. He wants you to share mentally. Uh, this, this idea of being close together. He wants you to live with your wives in a physical way, in a mental way. Like mentally, get on the same page. Learn each other. And as you start to learn each other, you begin to learn about that. Emotionally, oh man, emotionally, that's another thing. You know, many guys, many of us husbands don't realize that we have emotions. I think most men think that we have two emotions, anger and happy, nothing in between. And women, I'll give you this, men, women have 75 emotions. I think that's the last I counted. Like, like this is like they have more emotions, like there's an emotion for everything. You can watch a movie, there's the emotion for watching a movie. There's an emotion for whenever I walk in the door. There's an emotion for whenever I come home late. There's an emotion for everything. And for men... We don't have any. We go, yeah, I'm home late. But where were you? Okay, so spiritually, we've got to get on the same page spiritually. You know, spirituality is the tightest form of intimacy. You will be, if you want your marriage to get really super, you become spiritually intimate. That means you share spiritual things. It means you talk about the things of God. It means you pray, you read his word, you're sharing the common bond of Jesus Christ. And when you share that common bond, what happens is God puts you both on the same trajectory and you are sharing the most inner part of yourself because the spiritual side is the deepest side of a human being. But most people, they just think physically. So when you see this here, you see that word live with your wives, he's not saying that, hey, you know, just to, just to be in the same house. He's saying to get together in all these areas of life. Uh, husbands, it's easy to think, well, I've gone to work. And I've prepared, I, you know, I'm providing for my family. And look, look how good things are. Look at the house that we have. Look at the car that we have. And isn't that good enough? I make a good living for her and I meet all of our physical needs. Men, I want to encourage you. Your wives need more than money. Money doesn't have the ability to make you happy. In recent weeks, I've, somebody shared with me, and they had a rather large amount of money. And they said the statement, well, you know, money doesn't make you happy. And I said, thank you, because I've never had money, so I didn't know. 
But the reality is, a large sum of money will not make you any happier than you are right now. You may go through a, a period of life. You may go through a, t- a season where, where you think you're happier. But people who have ha- had both sides will tell you, some, some of those people will tell you that the happiest days is when they had no money. So as we're going out and we are the providers of our family, I'm not telling you, listen, a man has to provide for his family. If he doesn't provide for his family, the Bible says he's worse than an infidel. I mean, it's just he's bad news. So you have to work. And this whole thing that your wife needs you, but she also needs you to go to work. She doesn't need you to sit and, sit and stare at her all day, too. Because if you're sitting and staring at her all day, it's like, can't you find something to do? It's funny, some of the folks that retire, I hear them talk about how their husbands were gone all, all their life. And then all of a sudden, they're like, hey, he's here every day. I don't know what to do with him. All right? And this is what happens, Right? So as we are growing, we have to find balance, and that balance is go. We work hard. But, you know, it's so easy for me to come home from work. I put in 45, 55 hours, whatever, and then come home, and my mind can still be at work. I have to come home and shut down, and I have to begin to get to know my wife. I have to live with my wife. Become a lifelong student of your wife. Man, I want to encourage you. Become a lifelong student of your wife. I have been in the school of uh, student of my wife for 30 years, and I have not yet gotten a degree. <laughs> I have not figured out my wife. And uh, she's figured me out. <laughs> Men are easy to figure out. But I have not figured her out. And so what I have to do is I have to become a lifelong student of her and study her well. You know her well. You, see, as you know her well, you will love her well. You catch that? As you know your wife well, you will love her well. So I want to encourage you to know your wife. Uh, we, are, we are so different, though. This is, this is an issue. We are just so different. Genesis 2.18 says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him or suitable for him. And so if you go into the original language, you'll find out what what is he talking about there. He says, I'm going to make a helper for Adam. So he creates Adam and places Adam in the Garden of Eden. And he says, this is the only time out of all this creation he said it's not good. See the stars, it's good. See all the animals, it's good. Adam, he made Adam, it's good. But then he says, it is not good that man should be alone. And the way this is God's plan, look what he did here. God's plan was, I will make him a helper comparable to him. And then what's he do? He makes Eve. So he makes Adam, and then he makes Eve. And he places Adam and Eve in the garden as the very first marriage. Now, I want you to catch this. Why am I bringing this verse up? Because this word comparable, it means same but different. It means of the same kind but different. It's like a battery. You know, if you have a battery, there's a plus and a minus on there, right? The polarity is different. There's a plus and a minus. And so this is how things are to work with a plus and a minus. There's a north pole and a south pole. This is the way God intended it. And so here's the problem, though. We are so different. God's called us to know our wives, but we are so different. 
One, uh, one book on psychology said this, that men, and di- men, men are different from women. They are equal only in their common membership of the same species, humankind. But to maintain that they are the same in aptitude and skill and behavior is to build a society on a biological and scientific lie. The book goes on to say that men, are, men and women are different because their brains are different. He doesn't say better. They're not superior. They're not inferior. They're different. So men, husbands and wives, we are just different. God created. This was God's plan. And God said, I'm going to do this and I know what I'm doing. So Adam, the best thing I can do for you in your loneliness. And by the way, God created the need there. He created the need. He let Adam name all these animals. He went and he named every animal. Oh, there's two deer, male and female. There's two elephants, male and female. There's two squirrels, male and female. Hey, what gives? What about me? And that's exactly what Adam went through. And God says, I will make the helper comparable to him. So what does God do? What's this comparable? He says uh, God performs the very first surgery. And this is really cool. Uh, God did the very first anesthesia. Isn't that cool? Do you ever have that anesthesia stuff? You know, I went and had a test. I never really had too much surgery, but I had a test. They're like, you know, I'm like the rambunctious guy. I'm like, hurry up and hit me with the happy juice, right? And boom, I'm gone. Two hours later, I come out. I'm like, hey, I can see. I can see. Yeah, that was all right. They did whatever they had to get in there, right? And so this is what Adam did. God says, Adam, come here. Come here, Adam. Go to sleep. And he puts him to sleep. And he takes and he opens up the ribs. So God was the very first surgeon. You want to talk about how surgery can heal? God does that with the very first. Amen? And he healed his need for loneliness. So, I mean, that's a whole other sermon. I'll get on to that another time. But let me tell you, he opens up his rib, his rib cage, and he takes a rib out of the man, and he heals him back up. And he creates a woman out of that rib. You want to talk about, like, the power of God? You want to talk about Adam when he first wakes up? Adam first wakes up. He's coming out of anesthesia. God's first dose of anesthesia. And he wakes up and he looks. He sees Eve and he goes, whoa, man. And he sees the first woman. And, like, God gives him this incredible, incredible thing. But let me tell you. We are so different, and we're to be different. God has created us that way. Women tend to find their identity in close relationships. Men tend to find their identity in what they do, in their vocation. Um, In a conversation, when you're talking with women, there was a study done once that said that uh, that women will make an eye contact for an average of 12 seconds in in a conversation. They'll look in the eye for 12 seconds. A man will do that for an average of three seconds. So, ladies, I just gave you a little insight. He has a short attention span. <laughs> it's okay. We're going. We're going to. We're, we're going to. We're all over the place. God created us different. He created us male and female. There are communications differences. Harvard did a study a few years back here. They went out and they recorded all the kids at a playground. So they took all the kids at the playground. They've got this recording on the playground. And, uh, and they come back and they analyze it. And they found that out, out of all the girls, when the girls, smoke, when the girls' mouths were open and they're talking, there were actually recognizable words. So they, they record all these words. 
However, when the noises that came out of the little boy's mouth, they found that 60% of them were actually words, and 40% were sounds, sound effects like vroom, vroom, and buzz, and, and the list goes on of what they were yelling and screaming out there. God made us different. And that's the, how, how it works. God works this way. God created us differently. So we, were, we have those words. And I want you to think about this because men and women are so different when it comes to talking. I think they said that the average woman talks about 20,000 words a day. And the average man speaks about 13,000 words a day. Very interesting. So your husband, you send him off to work. And I'll just give a scenario here, right? You're at home with a baby. And the poor mom's talking to a baby all day. Baby can't talk, you know. Or you can also talk to the dog, too. I know that happens in our house. And, uh, and you, you start talking, right? In the meantime, the husband's at work. And he's used up all of his words. He speaks roughly 13,000. Let's say 13,000. He's used up 12,995 words. He comes in the door. You've had a baby all day. You've used a 1,000 words, and you've got 19,000 words left to use that day. And you see your husband come in the door, and you go, Honey, I'm so glad you're home. How was work? And you respond, Good. And she looks at you and says, What? What do you mean, good? Okay, he just used up one of the last five words. And you want him to elaborate. And, and you want him to give you all the details. You, you want him to give how he felt about work. He doesn't know how he felt about work. He's, he's a man. He just worked. But you, the, the wife wants to be into this. She wants to be intimately. She wants to know him. And, and so he comes home and, and the wife is saying, well, how was work today? And how did you feel about it? And he's like, I didn't have any feelings. I just went to work. I don't want to go to work. And so these are the differences. And so what I want to encourage you men to do is to know your wife, even though we are different. Know your wife. Begin to understand you will love your wife the more that you know her. The scripture says there to live with them in an understanding way. You will never understand your wife until you know her. You have to spend the time. And and men, I want to encourage you. You know how you spend time? It's not by sitting at home on your phone. These are the number one breakup of families. Don't go home and sit there and check your emails all night long. Don't don't go home and and sit there and text people at work or whatever. Don't, don't, Don't be consumed by what's on the Internet. That stuff will destroy your mind. What you got to do, you got to sit there and you got to go look at your wife. It's a pleasure to look at that beautiful creature that God placed in your family. Amen? Amen? Man, I look at my wife all the time. That's what you're supposed to do. You love her. You've got to look her in the eye. You've got to say, okay, she wants to know about my emotions today. Okay, that's a little bit uncomfortable because I didn't think I had any. <laughs> you know, well, I was really mad. And you know what? You'll begin to learn that you have more than two emotions. And, and what happens is you'll become close together and, and you will live in an understanding way. You know, us as men, sometimes we respond very, um, very, very ununderstanding. He says here, honor your wife. I want you to catch this. Honor your wife. 
Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, at the surface level, that appears to be, okay, what's he talking about here? Now, let me tell you. Number one, honor. What does it mean to honor? To honor somebody means to assign or assess value to someone or something. Priceless, precious. If I'm going to honor my wife, I must look at her as priceless and precious. To honor her is to build her up. Treat her with respect, kindness, courtesy. Um, You can take that word there where it says the weaker vessel, and you can look at the word weaker vessel, and you could replace it with this, a fragile vase. I had learned that many years ago whenever I was dating, and I learned that you are to treat your wife as a fragile vase. You know, when you look at that word weaker vessel, you think weak. No, 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 no. It's fragile. Fragile vase. You see, when you go out and you buy, you can buy a vase or you can buy a vase. You want to buy a vase, you go down here to the Dollar General. You'll get a vase. If you want a vase, you're going to go out and you're going to pay for it, aren't you? You're going to go way back into Macy's where I've never been before and ask for a vase. Why? Because it's fragile. They don't put those out on the counter where your kids can come in and just knock them off. Why? Because it's fragile. And he says, show honor to your wife because she is fragile and valuable. And now let me tell you this. It's how God made her. And as we do this, God says, you you, you can't go breaking that vase. You just can't go breaking that vase. I remember years ago, and I've told you this story before, I loved the Brady Bunch growing up as a kid. You can go watch some of these clips on YouTube now, Brady Bunch. And what happened was they had a, there was a vase. And the, and the kids came home, and uh, they weren't to be bask, uh, bouncing the basketball in the house. And they bounced it upstairs, it came down the steps, knocked over the vase, and it just shattered it. Went into a bunch of pieces. And as, as, the, as the vase was there laying in pieces, the kids said, what are we going to do? We've got an hour until mom gets home. So they glue the vase back together. And they put it together and they get it there. And it looks like you can't tell that it's been put back together. But it has been glued back together. It's just sitting there. And then in comes the lovely lady who is raising three lovely girls of her own. And she's ready for dinner. And they sit down for dinner. And then the, the maid comes in and she has flowers. And she goes, oh, let's put them in the vase. And she puts them in the vase, and the mom says, now let's fill the vase with water. And as they take that vase and they fill it with water, they put it back down on the table, and the kids are sitting there, and they're eating. They know what's coming. And pretty soon, that glue opened up. One fountain came out to the left, one fountain to the right. One fountain almost for each kid, and the table's covered with water. And she goes, who broke my vase, my vase? Now, I want you to catch this. Your wife, men, is like that vase. And if you break her, God forbid. There's many men that have broken their wives out of selfishness. Out of many things. But let me tell you. You have this wife that God gave you. Your job is to treat her as a fragile vase. Do not break her. Because when you go to put it back together. 
It's never quite the same. Jesus says he'll heal the brokenhearted. Jesus puts lives back together. Couples, marriages in this church, I want you to know there's healing for your marriage. God will put your marriage back together. Our responsibility is to never break that woman. Oh, we lead, but we're not a bull in a china closet. We're not going out there. We're not being ignorant. We lead, we love, but we still care. And we treat her with utmost respect. The weaker vessel does not mean that the wife is weaker intellectually, emotionally, or spiritually. I want want to encourage you. He says there, he says, the, the why. Why are we supposed to do all this? He says that you're supposed to do it because we are heirs together. Look, look what he says, the, the rest of the verse there. He says, uh, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. You are heirs. If you're both following Jesus Christ, you're heirs to the grace of life. God has given you this journey to be on together. And so don't throw stones at each other. Don't, don't be yelling and fighting all the time. And don't sweep problems under the carpet. Sweeping a problem under the carpet never solves anything. You pull it out and you deal with it. Wives, be able to speak up to your husbands and tell them, hey, we need to talk. Husbands, sit down with your wives and be able to say, we need to talk. We need to have a discussion. Let me tell you what's going on in my heart and soul. Since we are heirs of this life together. Gary Smalley said this. He said, after interviewing hundreds of wives and daughters, there is one consistent plea that is commonly asked by them of all of their fathers and their husbands. Please be comforting instead of lecturing and criticizing. Guilty as charged. It's what we do. Men, we're apt to go right to the bottom line. Sometimes they just need us to listen. Sometimes they just need us to be there. Like your presence means everything, men. Like like just, you realize the whole family's watching how you respond to that woman? And so God's called us to, to do that. And it doesn't mean that we don't go to work. Yeah, you go to work, you put in your life. Because you, if you don't, you're worse than an infidel. So you go out and you work hard, you give it 110% at work, and then you come home and you give 110% at home. And the the pendulum cannot swing to all work and it cannot swing to all family. It must be both. We have to work. We have to lead our families because if we don't, we are not doing what God's called us to do. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, I'm going to close on this. I know I've gone over here, but check this out. The way I treat my wife impacts my spiritual life. The way I treat my wife impacts my spiritual life. He says here that your prayers may not be hindered. That word hindered is the same word that you would use whenever in a military to knock out a road to stop the opposition's progress. Your prayers are hindered when you are not treating your family with respect. When you're not showing up and being emotionally present for your wife. When you're more into your hobbies than you are into your wife. When you're more into whatever, into my job, you name it. We can put anything else. God says, I've got to come. And when I do this, I take away and I open up the power channel for God to work. And this is how God works. So I want to encourage you today. 
that uh, whenever we evade our husbandly duties, men, that it will cause an interruption in the heavenly blessings of God on your life. I want you to catch this. My closing thought is this. I have a living hope. That's what Peter's all about. I have a living hope. Our living hope is in Jesus Christ. It is Christ in me. Therefore, by God's grace, I can do this. You can go out and you can treat your wives well. You can, husbands and wives. Wives, you can submit to your husbands whenever he's loving you, whenever he's laying down his life for you. And so we as families, as we've looked from the last two weeks all about the family, we have the example of Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, we can do this with the help of God Almighty. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning as we prepare to sing our closing song, I want to invite you to Jesus. I want to invite you to trust Him. Maybe this morning as a husband you've been sitting here and you're like, oh man, that's a lot. I want you to know God is here and He's working. He's not going to leave you. He's given you a living hope. And in that living hope, you can make it. Some of you are struggling with marriage this morning. There's things in your marriage that are just broken and hurting and in pain today. Let me tell you, God can put you back together. God can do that. And as he puts your life back together, you will sense the newness of life. You'll catch the the joy of God. And that's why Peter gave all this, because life is not always easy, but there's hope. And we can't change yesterday. And tomorrow is not a guarantee, but we can live today walking in his face. Learning and growing. So I want to, my challenge to you today is husbands and wives both. Would you come before God and say, God, I need you to fix my marriage. God, I need you to help me to be the husband that you want me to be. God, I can't go out and do that all right away. I need you to be with me every moment of the day. Wives, that you respond to the Lord. God, I need you to help me to be the wife that you've called me to be. Lord God, we thank you so much for your sacrifice. That's why we're here. Because Jesus died and rose again the third day, and you offer hope. God, thank you for that hope. Thank you for these practical teachings from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing song, thanking God for the blood of Jesus Christ, from which he paid the price for our sin. Thank you.